Welcome to the pen and the yod. This week's Parsha is Vayetze. Let's make a deal biblical style. Rabbi Michael Siegel from Anchayamit Synagogue in Chicago sits down with author Jonathan I. How do we manage our relationships? How do we think about people throughout our lives or nations, peoples? And is it possible to get beyond our stereotypes? And do we always live happily ever after? Is that really the goal? We just say no and be done. Okay, we could do that. <laughs> short, very short podcast this week. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. It's been nice Great talking, talking to you. you. Right. It is a lot to talk about, but it's all really contained in a story about Jacob and Esau. And I think these are relevant topics to us, so let's pursue this a little bit more and not take the right, easy route that you suggested. Chance. It's been 20 years, and God has told Jacob to return back to the land, but he knows that Esau's there. And, uh, the last thing that he heard that Esau said was that I'm going to kill my brother after my father dies. So needless to say, Jacob's a little bit nervous about going home, but he doesn't. And he has scouts and the scouts tell him that Esau is coming to greet him with 400 armed men. Not exactly a warm welcome. Yeah, so this is more than just like, I don't want to see my brother at Thanksgiving. It's going to be awkward. This is, this is, he's, right. he's, he's carrying a gun. <laughs> right, exactly. If your brother happens to be Charles Manson, yeah, I suppose. But um, this is, this is scary. Jacob separates his family to kind of make sure that they're going to be safe. He has this remarkable encounter with an angel. His name has been changed. For the first time, Jacob hasn't, isn't running away from his situation. And while his name is no longer Yaakov Ahil, his hip has been wrenched and he's limping. But yet he's walking tall and he's walking strong. And there he is standing face to face with Esau. And Esau's response is striking. He runs up to his brother and he falls on his brother's neck. He kisses him and he cries. It's a beautiful story. But the story continues, and Esau wants Jacob and his family to come and live with him. But Jacob says, thanks, but no thanks. And he parts ways with his brother and goes to live in a place called Sukkot. It's a very poignant story. It's a powerful one. And I think it's very real. Because on the one hand, the rabbis are going to take this story apart and they're going to see Esau as only having evil intent. That when the Torah says he fell upon his neck, there is a midrash that suggests, that teaches, that at that moment, Esau turned into a vampire. And he wanted to kill his brother. And he bites on his neck, but God saves him by turning his neck into marble. And so when he cries, what he's really crying about is his own pain, not the moment of seeing his brother. Uh -huh. Why do they go to all this trouble to tarnish Esau when really Jacob is the one who's much more in question? And that has a lot to do with Jewish history. Because the rabbis saw Rome as the descendants of Esau. They saw the Holy Roman Empire. And the kind of pain that Rome and the Holy Roman Empire, the persecution that they suffered, forced them to see the, the progenitor of all of them as being a repository of all of those bad, difficult traits. So our story is being shaped by bias, by cultural bias. Historical, way, right? Which it's by shapes, history. It's by yeah, history. Which shapes all of our stories, right? I mean, our stories of the formation of our own country, all of these things are shaped by our biases, how we feel about the enemy, how we feel about 
the country, uh, the people who were here before us. There's no such thing as, um, as an objective narrative. And, and so whoever's telling the story is going to have the final word on how the characters are perceived. In this case, Esau getting maybe a bad rap. That's true. And what do we do with our stereotypes? How many people now go on vacation to Vietnam? Right. Right. How do we understand Russia? How do we understand China? As Jews, how do we understand the church today? I grew up, my grandfather of blessed memory, when I would walk with him and we came to a church, we'd cross the street. Hmm. He grew up in Poland. That's what you did. You didn't tempt fate. Today, the relationship between the Catholic Church and the Jewish people, the Catholic Church and the state of Israel, is pretty remarkable. Their willingness to look at their own past and call out their own anti-Semitism, the mistakes they've made, and the efforts to, in a sense, make tshuva, to forge a new future, are really remarkable. Can we change our own thinking, or do we have to continue to put them into that persecutor's garb. That's the question here. The rabbis couldn't do it in their time because they were in the midst of Rome, and so this was the stereotype. But we who are beyond it, how do we understand it? What do we do with Germans today? How do Jews understand that? That's a real question. Right. Well, it seems to me that the change comes best and most rapidly when there's actual interaction, as we see between Jacob and Esau. I had the chance recently to visit the lynching museum in Montgomery that just opened recently. And one of the really interesting things they did there is they collected dirt from the sites of all these lynchings around the, around the country. And they have one container of dirt on display, and the other is waiting for the people of that county to come and pick it up so that the people of the county where the lynching occurred can come and claim the dirt and bring it back and put it on display in the county where the lynching occurred. It's this, it's this outreach. It's this hand being extended saying, Come with us, come and get this container, this vessel, take it back home and share in the acknowledgement that this happened, and let's try to heal. And that doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't. And if we take that back to the story of Jacob and Esau, Esau is showing that he's ready for a new relationship. And maybe Jacob's just not there. Mm-hmm. Maybe he, he has lived outside of the land. He has paid a price or maybe there's just not that level of trust in that relationship. It's a slow, difficult process. But as you said, there are possibilities for reconciliation. Look what happened in South Africa. Right. It's still in process, but it's a pretty remarkable step forward when we sit together and confront each other. Certainly, what happened with Jacob and Esau is remarkable because they were able to go forward and live on the same land, albeit at a distance, but they were able to be in relationship in a very different way than they had been before, at least in the moment. And I think we can, we can take that and we can also apply it on an individual level. How often do we have challenges with people that we love or we care about? And in some cases, we stop talking. And suddenly we have the opportunity to be together. Sometimes it's a Thanksgiving table or a holiday table. And what does reconciliation look like? Can I just stop bringing up what happened in the past? Can you own your story and your understanding? I can own my understanding. But can we acknowledge that we're family, we love each other, we've been friends for years, that we care deeply about each other and get on with things without having that Hallmark ending? Yeah, you know, that's the tricky part because sometimes it just feels like, well, fine, I'll just let it go. I'm, I'll get over it. But there's, you don't really 
feel a sense of understanding. And I feel like, especially as I get older and as I view things with more perspective when it comes to my own family, that it takes more than that. It takes a willingness to try to understand the other person and to say, okay, that's who they are. It's not how I am, but I need to try to be more empathetic and understand how they are and why we have this difference because the difference is probably not going away. It's as if to say here, and you kind of kind of imagine Jacob and Esau talking and talked about the family dynamics. You know what? It wasn't just us. Dad favored you, Esau, and mom favored me, and mom pushed me in one way, and but now we're adults. How do we look at our own situation? I'm going to tell my story. I want you to hear it, and you tell your story, and I'm going to hear it. I'm not going to try to convince you that I was right. I'm going to ask you to just understand that I'm human, I made mistakes, and you can tell me your story, and I'll do the same, and let's just get on with things. Let's not be at this state of war. Yeah, and you probably see this a lot in counseling families. You see it in good TV shows that sometimes just feeling like you were heard, uh -huh. just feeling like the person was really listening and understood your complaint. Even if you can't really make amends for it, all you can do is apologize. But that apology alone, if it's heartfelt, goes a long way. Something that goes beyond, I'm sorry that this was so painful for you. Right. Which is sort of a strange thing to say. I'm under the, the impression that in this story, the theme is there, are, there were more important things than being right. We're a family and we need, to, we need to go forward together. These are ideas that I think we can also apply on our national level as well. How do we understand the larger world? Anti-Semitism is there. Is every non-Jew an anti-Semite? I have a history with individuals. It's been a long time. Can I cut them the slack of saying, maybe they've changed. Can we give people the benefit of the doubt? I think that's what this story is about. And it's a good one, especially during this holiday period. 